You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Praise the Lord for that truth. Amen. And that is, that really is a, a message in song right there. And, um, and I know there's a lot of people even in this room this morning, that need to hear that message. And, um, and I'm grateful for it. I'm thankful for good music, good songs, and when it's conveyed in a way like that. I just appreciate the trio and the work they did to put that together. It's a great song. Genesis 12. We're going to be in Genesis 12. And um, as, you, as you find it, would you mind standing out of respect of God's word? Um, I've been accused of making people stand too much in church. And uh, there's, I do that, I try to do it for a good reason, a Bible reason, and that is that you don't fall asleep. So, you know, just a good, a good spiritual reason there. Genesis 12, um, Genesis 12, I want to say also to our guests, thank you for being here. And I know it took you, I mean, to come on a day like this even, with the roads like this, and it just really is a blessing to have you. And we, it, it's no small thing to Eastside Baptist Church that you're here with us today, worshiping here. Genesis chapter 12, and uh, I'd love to meet you afterwards too. Make sure you stop in the foyer, and uh, my wife and I will be out there. Love to meet you. Genesis 12, verse 1. Last time, we're going to, let me just give you a couple of remarks here. And uh, the last time we were in Genesis, we looked at the covenant that God made with Abram. God made a unilateral covenant, which means that it was all of God and not of Abram. A unilateral covenant means that this is with no conditions. God chose Abram to be the father of the nation of Israel. It's an everlasting covenant. It was dependent on God alone. A promise made with no conditions. This wasn't a contract, like a 50-50 contract, where you do your part, the other party does their part, and you meet in the middle. No, this is 100% God. Abram's only responsibility was to respond to these promises by faith. See, he had to operate because they were true, not in order to make them come true. And so today, I I hope that that we can see what it looked like in Abram's life in the beginning when he started operating because these promises of faith were given to him. Let's read Genesis 12, verse 1 through 9. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, and by the way, that's Abraham. His name changes later on. But Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, And from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. What a promise. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land under the place of Sychem, under the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram, and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south." And we're going to stop our reading there because I want to focus on how Abram acted after God gave him the promise. You see, we all have a choice to make when God's word is revealed to us. We have a choice to either act based on our preferences or act on God's promises. We can either act on our preferences or act on our prophet, our, our, uh, God's promises. That's the title this morning, Promises or preferences, and I hope it'll be a help to us today. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, we thank you for, the, for your word. We pray that you bless the reading of it. I pray that you'd help us each to be focused on how this applies to us, that we would make it personal in our own lives and see how the story of Abraham here at the beginning of these promises 
can make a difference in our own lives. God, help us to be people that are marked by living by your promises and not our preferences. Bless our time together. Speak as you will in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Abram's life is one of the more interesting stories in all the Bible. God, God seemingly selected him at, at random to father the nation that would represent God on earth. The nation from whom would come the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But sometimes I, I think we overlook how difficult it would have been at the very beginning for Abram to take these steps. Uh, this God that he did not know was offering him all kinds of things but also asking him to leave everything. For all Abram knew, it may not even be legitimate. I mean, you think about that. He did not have awareness of this God. Uh, he was in the Ur of the Chaldees. He was a pagan. Um, his family was idolatrous. And so, but just suppose, let's just put ourselves in this position. Suppose that you heard a voice from heaven. And uh, if you have voices in your head, then maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you hear a voice from heaven and it comes to you and it says, sell your home, leave your job, cut ties with your extended family, take your immediate family to a land you've never been to, and I don't even go, I'm not even going to show you just yet, and it's far away, a place you've never been, and do it now. And you would say next morning, okay, Call a realtor. Here we go. I mean, think about how, how tough that would be. Now then suppose that the voice, after saying that, then comes and says, I'll give you a whole country. I'll make you famous. I'll bless you. I'll give you resources beyond your imagination. I'll bless your friends. I'll curse your enemies. I'll, I'll bless every family of the earth through your descendants. Well, that changes things a little bit, doesn't it? I see, I'm not saying that that's an easy choice to just pack up and leave and just follow. But it certainly makes it more interesting. And you think, I still don't think I could do that. Well, that's essentially what Abram was doing. He was literally following a God he wasn't familiar with to a place he had never been for promises that he believed were true, but, but he had not been a follower of God to this point to know what God was like. Uh, you see, we, if God had done this to us today, if he had come to us, we at least would have knowledge of God. We would have had past experiences of God and the way that he works. Abram is operating solely by faith. God came to him with, a, with no previous context. So we, now we know the God of the promises and, and we know that God's promises leads to blessings. But for all Abram knew, God's promises could have been a trap. Uh, he had to take God at his word and choose the promised blessings over what was familiar to him. And his life, think about it, his life, think about it this way. Abram was living his preferences. He was living all he had ever known. He was living his, the life that he wanted to live. I mean, he's in his 70s at this point. He's doing his own thing. His life was the one he preferred. It was a life, you might call it, we're just going to say it's a life of preference. This is the life that he chose. But when God came along, Abram was introduced to this second choice, which was a life of promise. And suddenly these two choices are at odds because you cannot live both at the same time. Abram, uh, Abram had to decide which life seemed more likely to have the better ending. That's really what he's thinking about. He's trying to decide, okay, do the preferences, the life that I've been living, do I think that that is going to end the way that I want my life to end? Or do I take this God, this unknown God to me, do I take him at his word and think, well, the life of promises that he is giving me, that seems like that would be the better ending. There's a choice between the two things here. And, and I don't know how much of a conflict it was, but I imagine there was a conflict because can you imagine the morning that, that maybe Abram went to his wife, Sarai, they're both up in years, 60s and 70s, and goes to her and says, okay, I heard a voice. And she says, beep, 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 hello. I need some help. 
No, Abram says, I heard a voice, Sarah, and it it said to sell everything. We're going to leave everything. We're going to move to a different place. And she says, oh, okay, well, maybe it could be better. Where? And he says, I don't know yet. We're just going to get the U-Haul. We're going to drive across the desert. And wherever we end up, that's where we end up. And she, you know, there had to be a conflict here. There had to be something that, that Abram is thinking, okay, how am I going to explain this to Sarah? How am I going to explain this to my family? My, my family that God is telling me to leave. There, there's got to be some process to go through. And you would think everything, that everything after this, like you, you would think even that he followed God, then you would start thinking, okay, well, if I'm going to do this and I take, pack up my roots and, and I pick them up and I start moving across the desert, then everything's going to get easy after that. And yet here he is picking up roots. He's, he's moving across the desert. He's going into a place he's never been. He's selling everything he had. He has to try to convince Sarah. He has to try to convince his family. He has to explain it to them. And as he goes along, it, it doesn't really get all that easy even. You would think that if someone is willing to uproot themselves and follow God and and give up their life to follow God's promises, that at least it would get easy, but it doesn't. See, very often in the life of promise, we have to decide that the long-term fulfillment that we we find in God's blessings is better than the short-term benefits that we find living in our preferences. And, I, and I'm going to say that phrase a lot today because I want you to get this principle here. We have a choice between the blessings of God's promises, which are long-term, and the benefits of our preferences, which are short-term. But it's shocking how many of God's people choose this one over here. The benefits that they say, see in the short-term preferences, they choose that over, over the blessings that come from the long-term um, promises of God. You know, listen, giving up our desires to follow God is not easy. And we have to be convinced that the blessings to come are better than what we're giving up. And this is the lesson I want to see in Abram's life today. I want to look at three truths about choosing God's promises over our preferences. Because whether or not you think this sounds significant, this is the Christian life. Every day, it's a choice. Am I going to live by my preferences or am I going to operate by God's promises? And the first truth that I want to see out of Abram's life here in his simple outline here today, but promise over preference means cutting old ties. Promise over preference means sometimes you have to cut some ties. I mean, enjoying the life of promise is hard because it requires that there's some connections that we have to sever. And as we've already seen in Abram's life, he had to leave a lot behind. Again, look at verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house. And look, uh, and, and look down at verses 4 and 5. So Abram departed as, after Haran as, as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. Think about it though. Abram is in his 70s. His wife is a little bit younger than him, but he's established. He's put down roots. He's likely wealthy. He's likely an idolater. His family is certainly into idolatry. This was the life that he was choosing. It was the life of his preference. But in his 70s, he's asked to leave his country. He's asked to leave his family. He's asked to leave his security and his home and his friends. All of his preferences, he has to sever. And listen, when you submit to God's promises, you will have to set aside your preferences. Jesus told his disciples that, that being a follower means a life of self-denial. And Luke 14, says, Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And friends, if you think that being a Christian and following Christ is a life of ease, read Luke 14. He says again, if whosoever that come after me, if you forsake not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. We have to be willing to set aside, to cut some ties in our life in order to follow God. And you know, we get hung up on that. 
And, and rightfully so, it's hard. I mean, our preferences seem right to us, don't they? Uh, what, our life that we choose to live, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man. Proverbs 14. I mean, it's hard to wake up. I'm just thinking about following God, and let's just get to the basics. It's hard to wake up early in the morning before your body wants to and read your Bible and pray and spend time with the Lord. You know what my preference is every morning? Sleep in. I mean, I'd rather lay there in bed. I'd rather enjoy the time that I have in bed. I'd rather keep my eyes closed. I'd rather snooze for a while. But you know what? A life, a life of promise says, no, I know it's better for me to spend time with the Lord. So I'm going to turn off the alarm after the fourth snooze. And I'm going to wake up. And I'm going to spend some time with the Lord. See, even in the basic things of, Christi- of the Christian life, we choose our God. If we're, we're for followers, we're choosing promise over preference. You know, it's hard to give up a Saturday morning to go out and invite people to church when the weather's good. And yet, a life of promise over a life of preference will tell us that that's something that every Christian ought to be involved in. It's hard to spend half of our weekend at church. You know, you think about it, uh, and this is a big deal for some people, in that a weekend, you got a Saturday and you have a Sunday, and if you're going to be a committed Christian and be involved and contributing in a local church, that means you essentially give one of those days up for the Lord every weekend. And for some people, that's a tough thing to overcome. I understand it. I I think it would be difficult to overcome. We have to simply choose, though, if we're going to live based on our preferences or we are going to live according to promises. I mean, think about Abram. As hard as it would have been to give up his old life and move to a country he'd never been to, he wasn't just asked to leave something, though. God made promises. He was, God, he was taking him somewhere. He would receive his own land. He would receive great blessings and riches. He would be the father of a new nation. And that nation would be blessed. And, and that nation would bless every fam- family of the earth someday. But Abram had to be willing to cut the old ties so he could follow God. He had to be willing to give up his preferences for God's promises. Listen, this is faith. Being willing to leave what's familiar in order to follow. Leaving the preferences for the promises. It's, and it's asked of every one of Christ's disciples. See, we often think, and this is the way it is, in, I think, in American culture when it comes to Christianity. We think that being a Christian means I can simply add it in, in to, my, to my existing life and not much has to change. But if you read the New Testament, you find out that's not the life of a disciple that Jesus Christ describes. And there's a lot of applications here. You know, sometimes we might struggle to give up the way we live to follow Jesus. And it's difficult, especially if you come from a certain background and you're trying to get rid of certain habits. But a disciple is more concerned about reflecting the one that he follows than living his preferences. And if your lifestyle choices conflict with God's expectation, you have to make a choice between preferences or promises. I'm thinking about parents in here. God wants you to raise godly kids. That's his, par- his plan for you as parents. But sometimes you have to set aside your parenting preferences and follow God's, which he says a lot about, actually. Your preferences will produce, listen, your preferences will produce one type of child. But God's promises will produce another kind of child. And you have to make a choice. Listen, he wants you to have inner peace, but you're going to have to decide if you will continue trusting your preferences to find it or if you will follow his promises. If you've been searching for satisfaction your whole life in the way that you live and in your preferences, in the way that you want to live your life and you haven't found it yet, why not look to God? See, he wants you to enjoy a great relationship with your spouse, but your preferences on how to interact in a marriage relationship will have to be set aside and his promises will have to be embraced. And I'm just giving you examples. These are all promises of God in God's word, but you will have to choose to set aside what's natural and trust God's way to see them accomplished. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. You can't do both at the same time. You don't get to enjoy God's blessings, friend, if you refuse to release your preferences. Max Lucado, um, many of you know him, an author, and, and um, I don't agree with all of his doctrine, uh, I mean, just, but, but he really tells a good story. 
I, re- I read a story about him one time and he took his children to a, a playground and, and he took them into the ball pit, he let them go play in the ball pit, which no parents now would ever do that without sanitizing it. I mean, I mean, I can't believe some of the stuff my parents let me play in when I was a kid, okay? Not to mention like the giant metal McDonald's toys with like saws and, you know, all kinds of things. You just had to, you know, dodge them when you're spinning around in the merry-go-round. I mean, crazy stuff. But I don't know that, that ball pits may be at the top of the list of things that I would not ever crawl into as an adult. But he's talking about this, having his children, his two girls play in the ball pit. One was about, I think, five or six. The other one was three. And when the younger one got in, um, you know how it's hard to move in those things already? Well, she thought that if I grab all the balls and hold on to all the balls, that'll help me like stay up and, and move around. And yet she grabbed all the balls and found out she couldn't move if she was holding on to them. And so he was trying to, you know, talk through the net, you know, it's like you start to panic as a parent because everyone's watching how well your children just listen to your verbal commands. You know, you can't, you're not allowed to go in with him. So he's trying to tell her, let go of all the balls so you can move around and, and have fun and she won't do it. She's sinking further and further into the ball pit. So he says to the, old, the other daughter, go help her and, and just, you know, try to, try to, you know, help her move. And, and that didn't help. So he said, we'll take the balls out of her hands. And that turns into a big fight between sister and sister, which are, by the way, the most violent fights out there. <laughs> sister fights. And so I have four girls. I've seen it, okay? And so here he is just getting frazzled because his daughter doesn't know how to play in the ball pit. I'm not sure how that happens, but it did. So eventually they let him go into the ball pit in a hazmat suit. And, no, just kidding. Go into the ball pit and help his daughter figure it out. But, you know, it's a great illustration of the fact that, listen, God has his way. And if we would simply let go of what we're holding on to, we could have all the freedom to enjoy life and be satisfied and have fulfillment in Christ that we want. But we refuse to let go of some of those things. And it keeps us from being what God wants us to be in our lives. It keeps us from being the right kind of husband. It keeps us from being the right, having the right kind of marriage. It keeps us from being the right kind of wife and mother. It keeps us from being the Christian we should. We're holding on to these things and we can't move and we're drowning in them. And God is simply saying, just let go of your preferences and follow my promises because it's much better. Follow, you know, pr- promise over preference means you're going to have to cut some ties. What is it in your life right now that's keeping you from following God's promises? And if it's a preference, it's time to let it go and let God's word prove itself to you. Promise over preference also means, number two, following no matter how difficult. So it means cutting ties, but it means following no matter how difficult. In verse 4 it says, so Abram departed. At some point, Abram decided, I've just got to make this happen. And it's just notable here. The best way to give up your preferences sometimes is just to get up and go. You know, it's easy to hold on to things. And it's easy to say, I'm not sure I can let this go in my life. But sometimes you just have to count to five and move. Count five, four, three, two, one, I'm moving. You know, I know that sounds simple and it sounds strange, but I mean, I literally have to do that in the morning. I have to count down when, when my alarm goes off and it's early and it's cold in South Dakota. And I don't want to get out of the bed. I have to literally in my mind, five, four, three, two, one. I count down and I say, that's going to get me out of bed. Sometimes if you're going to get rid of your preferences, if you're going to release them, you just have to kind of say, okay, it's time. I'm going to do it. This is a decision I'm making. And by the way, if you brought something in that's keeping you from following God this morning, you don't have to walk out with it. You can leave it here this morning. Abram departed. It doesn't mean, though, it got easier. Uh, He went to Haran. He got a delay. And then his father had to die before he could move on. And it didn't get easier after that. Look at verse 5. It says, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan. They came and Abram passed through the land under the place of Sychem, under the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. So, so Abram's caravan, they finally, at some point along the way, God reveals to Abram where he wants him to go. And they finally come to Canaan. 
And they come to this plain called the, this place called the Plain of Mora. And some people believe that plain actually means a tree. It could be it could mean both things. Um, I'm just going to say it's a plain because that's what it here it, what it is here in the King James Bible. But the area has traditionally been known as a place where the pagans of the land, there was a giant, either a giant tree or there was a grove of trees on a hill and they would worship there and they would teach there. Mora actually means teacher. So this was a place of teaching where the pagans and the heathens would teach and worship in that place. And the point that I'm making in that is not just the word study, it's that the, Abram's first stop in Canaan is a place where false religion was active and it was full of people who practiced pagan religion. So think about this. God prob- promised Abram a land, Canaan. So Abram finally gets up and he goes. But when he gets there, it's inhabited. And not only is it inhabited, it's inhabited by people who did not serve Abram's God. And in my mind, I might think, hey God, this is the land you promised? I mean, you brought me all the way here and... He's trying to probably convince Sarai and Lot and everyone else, oh, this is going to be good. And they get there, and it's a place where the pagans already live, and they're already worshiping, and the first stop they come to is a place where they actually teach their religion. It'd be like somebody promising you a house and say, yes, move across the country, I have a house for free, just get your stuff, come over here, and, and it's, this house is for you, I'll give you the keys, you walk in. So you transplant your family across the country. You go to a place. You go up to the door. They hand you the keys and walk away. You open the door and walk in, and it's full of squatters. That's essentially what's happening here. And not just squatters, but squatters that aren't anything like you. Okay, so you walk in, and they're like from North Dakota or something. I mean, they're just not like you. That's what's happening here. If you're from North Dakota, I'm so sorry. I was, don't even know where that came from. That is not in my notes at all. Love North Dakota. Here's the difficulty. We assume, and listen, we assume that when we leave our preferences for God's promises, that it's going to get easier. We say, I've been training my child for a week and they still don't obey. You may, may want to lower those expectations. We say, I've been giving to the Lord, and I've been giving faithfully because it's what he commands of us, but my finances are still not good. This can't be right. Or I told my boss, I couldn't work on Wednesdays because I'm going to be in church, but now my hours have been cut. I thought promise over preference meant easy. And listen, I wish it was the case, but sometimes God's promises don't look like what we'd prefer. And we may not get to see them till later. They may not ex- happen exactly like we hope. Maybe our expectations aren't met, aren't met. But just because it's hard doesn't mean that God's promises aren't better than our preferences. See, it just means that we have to continue operating by faith until God's plan comes together. See, think about Abram. Abram had years to go before he ever even got a son. I mean, he's supposed to be the father of this nation. He's childless. They don't have any children. And it's not till years after this that God sends him a son. And he never even settles in Canaan. Uh, he, he was a nomad his whole life. So you talk about not being easy, but that didn't discount God's promises. And before you think, well, it's not fair. I've done what I'm supposed to do and it's still hard. I want you to consider this. I want you to consider God's people. They lived and operated by, by God's promises, but it wasn't easy. Think about Noah. I mean, he, you talk about a man living by God's promises. Don't you think Noah would have just preferred to live life like everybody else? But instead, he spent 120 years building a boat and everyone ridiculed him the whole time. And yet he was following God's promises, but it wasn't easy for him. I mean, it wasn't easy for Moses, who was following God's promises. And yet every time in the wilderness that the people, they would, they would murmur and complain. You know, he had to think, I thought following God's promises would be easier than this. Daniel, he was following God's promises. He was praying out of his window three times a day. He ended up in a lion's den. The prophets, they followed God's promises. And yet they were slain because they didn't, people didn't like to hear the messages of God. The the apostles, they followed God's promises. They preached the gospel. And every one of them, as far as we know, except for maybe the apostle John, every one of the original apostles was martyred for their faith. Jesus Christ, 
was the ultimate example of somebody. Even in the garden, he said, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me, God. Father, that's my preference. But if it be thy will, thy will be done. And God's own son followed his promises to a tree. It was not easy even for Jesus Christ. So for us to think that following promises makes it easy, it doesn't. But still, look at how God deals with Abram, even when it was hard. Look at verse 7. It says, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Under the, under thy seed will I give this land. Listen, the Lord appeared unto him. In the middle of difficulty, God comes and reconfirms his promises. God hadn't left Abram alone in his difficulties. See, if you're following God's promises, he doesn't leave you alone to deal with it on your own, friends. God doesn't leave us when it gets hard. That's a promise. There may be times that we don't do what we should and maybe God then will let us learn some hard lessons. But when we operate based on his promises, he gives us reminders of his faithfulness. He appeared to to Abram and listen, he gives us those glimpses of his grace, doesn't he? I mean, if you will seek God when it's hard, his promises will provide priceless assurance that you couldn't find anywhere else. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, just as an example. You know what he could have said? He could have said, I'll be with them, but I'm not going to let them know. He could have said, I'm going to be with my people. I won't leave them and I'll never forsake them, but I'm not going to let them know that. I just want them to figure that out on their own. No, God, not only does he not leave us or forsake us, but he preserved it in his word for us to know that he won't leave us or forsake us. You talk about a God that cares about his people. He doesn't leave us to wonder what he's like. He gave us his book to reveal himself to us. And he gives us promise after promise. He wants us to have assurance. Listen, God doesn't revel in our doubts. He loves us enough not to just make us wonder if he's present. He gave us many avenues of encouragement. He gave us his word. And by the way, if this isn't the first place that you go when you have doubts and challenges and whenever you're discouraged, then nothing else can help you like God's word can. He gave us his word. He gave us, if you're part of a good local New Testament church, he gave you his people, his church, this church family. I'm telling you, I don't know how people without a church family walk through trials. God gives us a church family and people to be a blessing. God gives us answered prayer. He gives us unexplained grace. He gives us small daily reminders of his presence. And listen, his promises are true. It's kind of like that friend who shows up with the right words at the right time all the time. Be thankful for the unexpected confirmations from God in your life. He appeared to Abram when it was hard. Promise over preference means cutting old ties. It means following when it's difficult. And it also means that we stay in worship mode. Number three, promise over preference keeps us in worship mode. Look at verse seven again. The Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Under thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Abram built an altar. When God does something for you, worship. When God does something for you, there may not be a more important thing that I'll say this morning. Whether or not God does something for you, worship. Make your spiritual life your life's priority. When things are unexpected or hard or life throws you a curve, that's the worst time to step away from God. Take a step toward him. And I want to challenge you, Eastside members and guests alike, every day do something that makes it obvious you're seeking God. James 4, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. While you're waiting on the blessings and you're waiting for the difficulty to end and you're waiting to see the end of what he's promised, take time to worship. Let him know that you're grateful for what he's done. Worship him for who he is. He keeps his promises. And you have to think that someday you're going to see the good that comes from it. Keep that in your focus. Keep worship your life's priority, even when it's difficult, even when you can't see the end. Look at verse 8. And he removed from thence into a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai or Ai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Listen, Abram made worship a priority everywhere he went. 
I mean, whether he was uh, on the plain or he was on a hill or in the mountain, if he was near Bethel, if he was over by Ai, he built altars and he sought God. And when you let promises dictate your life, nothing will get between you and worship. Listen, I find, it's, I find it amazing that the one thing every Christian should do regularly, worship, has become expendable. Your consistency, listen, your consistency with God, your consistency, vertically speaking, it reflects whether or not you're living according to your preferences or according to God's promises. So I'm asking you this morning, as Brother Chad Viss preached last Sunday, last Sunday morning on our relationship with God, is it a priority in your life? Of all the things you're known for, listen, of all the things that you're known for, if people were listing out all the things that, that mark you or characterize you, is spiritual life, is it listed anywhere on the top ten? And if it's not, it's time to stop living according to preferences and start living according to God's promises. The most important part of your life is how you relate to God. And of all the things you're known for is your spiritual life on the list. Is it consistent, friends? Do you take daily active steps to seek the Lord? Worship also applies to your church life. Is it consistent? How about your, your attendance? How about your service? Um, for some in here that aren't a part of a local church, have you committed to church as a contributing member? How's your worship life? Your worship life reflects whether or not you're driven by preferences or promises. Look at verse 9. And Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. This is so interesting. Abram, the father of the nation of Israel, you know he was a nomad his whole life? Constantly moved. For those of you that are army brats raised in the military, you know what that's like, constantly moving. You know, but he was, but Abram was constantly moving, but he was also blessed because wherever he went, he constantly worshiped. Abram was marked by a life of altars. Worship mattered to him because worship matters to God. And Abram knew that even though he was moving around physically, he needed to stay consistent spiritually. And it may be a long time, friend, listen, and I'm about to come into the application. It may be a long time before we get to receive the blessings that result from God's promises. And until that happens, we must be diligent to make our relationship with God count. Or I promise you're going to quit before you see the ending. So promise over preference means cutting old ties and following no matter how hard it gets and staying in worship mode. But what's the big picture? I always try to do this, kind of just take a step back and look at the picture. What is the one thing that kept Abram from going back to his preferences when the promises seem so far away? Well, there's a piece that has been woven through all of this. And I've touched on it, but I haven't stated this explicitly yet. But here it is. Here's what I want you to get this morning. Abram was willing to set aside preference and operate by promise because he was convinced that the blessings of promise were better than the benefits of preference. He was willing to set aside his preferences and and, and follow the promises because he was convinced that the blessings of God's promises were better than the benefits of his personal preferences. In order to live a life of promise, you have to be convinced that where you're going is better than what you're leaving. Let me say that again. You have to be convinced that where you're going is better than where you're leaving. You have to be convinced that the benefits of your preferences, and listen, there are some, there are some, they they feel beneficial, but you have to believe that the benefits of your preferences are inferior to the blessings of God's promises. Yes, Abram was leaving his family and he was leaving his country and he was leaving his religion, but he was trading those for a new country and greater blessings and a famous name and the opportunity to bless every family on the earth through his descendant, Jesus Christ. What Abram left wasn't anything close to what he would gain by following God. His preferences would have left him in Mesopotamia, but God's promises took him to an entire country that was his. His preferences would have kept him close to his family, but God's promises made him a blessing to every family. His preferences would have left him a pagan, but God's promises turned him into a righteous man of faith. 
We have to be willing to set aside the benefit of our preferences in order to enjoy the blessing of God's promises. And friend, you cannot have both. You can't. You choose. You have to choose which one is greater. And I'm just going to apply it again to parenting. Listen, so as an application here today, our preference when it comes to parenting is, is I would like to just be my, I would like my kids to like me. I mean, who doesn't want to be friends with their children? I want them to, I want, my preference would be that they're good kids. I want to have good kids. My preference is that when they want something that I'm able to give it to them. I don't like to tell them no. My preference is that I don't have to train or discipline them, that they're just perfect on their own. That's my preference. But you know, God's promise says that sometimes as a parent, you can't just be your child's best friend. You have to be their trainer. You have to be their discipliner because you're not content to just have godly kids. You are good kids. You want godly kids. And our preferences in parenting sometimes will look one way, but God's promises look different. And listen, if we want a product that, that ends in godliness, then we have to choose God's promise over preference between the short-term benefits of being their friend or seeing their happiness by getting what they want, or the, we have to then choose the long-term blessing of raising a child that loves and serves God with all their hearts. We have a choice to make. When it comes to money, my preference is I want to make a bunch of money. I'd love to have plenty of money. I'd love to have all that I need. I'd love to move up the corporate ladder. I mean, there's not, I mean, around, there's not really much more for me to do around here. I'm already the pastor, I guess, but I mean, Judy's aiming for my job, but you know, I'm, she does it better than me sometimes anyway. She said, I want to move up the corporate ladder, man, my job, that's my career. And I'd love to have a lot of money at retirement so I don't have to worry about anything else. Listen, I understand those preferences, but you also have God's promise. And that is if you put God first and you invest in his kingdom and you invest your resources instead of hoarding, you can enjoy treasures in heaven. So the choice is between the short-term benefits of your preferences, and that means having more down here, but the long-term blessing of God's promise means making a difference in eternity and having a reward when I get to heaven. So which one's better in the end? I mean, church attendance and our preferences, like, listen, again, I already mentioned it. I have two days off in a row on a weekend. Those of us who've been in church our whole lives, we wouldn't know what to do. I mean, I can promise you our honeydew list still wouldn't get done. But you know, having a weekend off, having time off, having time to relax, having time at home, that's appealing. But you also then have a promise, according to Ephesians 4, that your spiritual growth is dependent on the institution that Christ established, which is a local New Testament church. And you look around on Sundays and folks, folks guess you see a lot of people here and many more that aren't here because of whatever reason, the weather or they're out of town this morning. But for the most part on Sunday mornings, you're looking at people that have chosen to live a life of promise over preference because I can guarantee you every one of these families would love to have time at home on Sundays too. But the life of promise and the spiritual blessings, the long-term benefits of a local church and the preaching and the fellowship and the teaching far outweighs whatever time of relaxing we might get on a Sunday. Many here have made that choice. Think about your lifestyle. And we may have some in here and listen, your lifestyle is you do what you want. You're going to live it up. You're going to have fun. You're going to enjoy today like it's your last. That's a life of preference. There's also a life of promise. It says put Christ first and live to love and serve and please him. Even if it means giving up your preferences, it will be worth it in eternity. And our testimony will allow us to draw others to God by being salt and light as we live that promise. So the choice is enjoy the the short-term benefits of your preferences and have a good time, live life to please self, but stand before God with great regrets. Or aim for the long-term blessings of God's promises and live to please Him by faith. And when you stand before Him someday, you have great rewards. The most important application this morning is in salvation. See, our preference in salvation, man's, again, there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You know what man's natural um, way of trying to save himself is? To do it in his own strength. 
I can do this. I've got pride. I can take care of this. Because Ephesians 2, 9 says that if it's by works, we boast about it. Our preference is I'm going to do it my own way. I'm not going to submit to somebody else's plan. And listen, I'm going to work hard and my good works are going to outweigh my bad works. And even if not, my good intentions, God will honor those. I'll be good. That's our preference. Or we've got religious tradition on our side. And we think, well, my tradition, that's my preference. That's how I like to think that it's going to work. But you also then have a book that gives us plenty of God's promises when it comes to salvation. And that is that if you admit your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ's payment on the cross, acknowledging there's no way to heaven except through him, you can have eternal life. That's the promise. It's faith, not works. So you have a choice to make this morning. You can try your hardest and never know if it's good enough and find out eventually that it's not. Or you can humbly trust in Christ alone and enjoy heaven for eternity. The long-term blessing of God's promises far outweighs whatever short-term benefits we get by living according to our preferences. There's so many applications Your preferences will leave you in an unfulfilled marriage, but living by God's promises will make it wonderful. Your preferences will leave you seeking internal peace, but God's promises will help you find eternal rest. Your preferences would have you never walk through a trial. Wouldn't we say that? Your preferences, our preferences would say, I'd never have to walk through a trial. But God's promises tell us that he will provide the grace we need and will even use that difficulty to draw us closer to him if we keep our eyes on the promises. And in every case, friend, God's promises always lead to something better than our preferences. You know what's interesting? First, Jesus Christ, he had preferences, as I mentioned. He asked his father to take the cup from him so he wouldn't have to endure the suffering of the cross and and the forsaking of his father, but he laid his preferences aside. Why? So that we could enjoy God's promises. So before you think it's unfair that we would have to endure something difficult and give up our preferences for God's promises, his own son did it. Second, If you've been saved long at all and you've found this to be true, as we give up our preferences and give them over to God and follow his promises, it's interesting how his preferences become our preferences. See, in other words, things I used to hold on so tightly to. I mean, I look at now and I look back at the old life and, and I look back at what I used to say, boy, I don't ever want to give this up. And now, after living a life of promise, I look back at that and I say, why did I ever want that? This life, it's so much better. This is what I wanted all along and I never knew it until I was able to give up my preference for God's promises. God's promises have a way of changing our preferences. Can you imagine, amen, can you imagine how that worked for Abram when he finally saw the promises of God becoming reality? He must have looked back at his old life at the Uricaldes and said, I can't believe that's what I used to think was going to make me happy. And I'm just saying this morning, that which you're holding on to so tightly will someday seem so small because what you gain in Christ is eternally better than what you have to give up to follow him. So this morning, I'm just saying, be willing to cut your ties. Keep following when it's hard and continue to worship no matter what. And you're going to discover that what you gain pursuing God's promises is far greater than what you gave up when you let go of your preferences. Let me read three verses to you out of Hebrews and we're done. By faith, Abraham... When he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned. He was a nomad. He sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles, tents. He lived in tents his whole life. Dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. 
And here's what he did. It says, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And what Abram came to, what he understood is that, yes, it may be hard and I may sojourn my whole life and I may always live in tents and I may not even see the result of the promise for years down the road. But what I do know is that the city whose maker is God, who built those foundations where I'm headed, that is far greater than anything I've ever in my life had to give up. And he realized that a life of promise is far greater than a life of preference. And yet we, I guarantee, have people in this room, in in their hearts, in their lifestyle, in their habits, in their choices, they're living according to preferences. And what I have to say to you this morning is, again, the long-term blessings of God's promises are far greater than the short-term benefits of your preferences. And I'm asking you this morning, are you willing to let them go? Or are you like the child in the ball pit and you're holding on as tight as you can and you can't move and you're sinking and it will lead you nowhere and yet if you would simply let them go, the whole thing is there for you to play in. It's time to let go of our preferences and follow God's promises. Let's stand together, every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to encourage you today to... If God has worked in your life, I, as Eastside members, I encourage you, anytime God moves in your heart, I encourage you to make, a, to make a, a decision. To respond publicly, visibly, however it is. I mean, let's, let's, let's be real about it. If God works, let's move. For our guests this morning, if you don't know that you're saved and you're living a life of preference and you're not sure where it ends, it will not take you where your life of promise will. And yet God has made promises to you. If you would simply submit to his plan, he'll take you to heaven when you die. That's available for you. You could come this morning and respond. If you're a parent and you're saying, I'm having a tough time living a life of promise. I don't see the end. I'm telling you, just keep working toward God's word. His promises eventually will prove true. If you're in a marriage and both of you are competing for the life of preference, if you both would come under the life of promise together, it would transform your relationship. However it applies, there's so many applications. I encourage you, though, this morning to respond. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would use it to change us this morning. Work as you will in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.